down. I went to see the dermatologist on Thursday. He said, I'm going to hit a couple of spots with the liquid nitrogen over here. I said, take it easy. I'm preaching on Sunday. Man, he got the fire extinguisher out and went to town. So that's what that's all about. But I'll be back to my pretty self next week. I'm a fast healer. All right. So I want to put a picture on the screen of a long-running game show called Let's Make a Deal. And now there's an iteration of that out today. I think Wayne Brady is the host. But anybody remember the old host on Let's Make a Deal, what his name was? Monty Hall. Monty Hall. And you know how it works. So Monty Hall would get someone up on stage, usually a costume that had caught his eye, and they're going to play the game. And he might start off by giving the contestant $1,000. says, here's $1,000. Now, you can keep that $1,000. It's yours. Just go home. You're a winner. Or... You can trade that $1,000 for what's behind door number one. And so what's behind door number one? They did not know. It could be a Corvette. could be a jar of pickles. So it all depends on whether that's a good trade, and then the fun began. Now, by this time in the sermon series, and if you're new to us, we've been in a sermon series, Greater Reward, and we've been talking about the rewards that God has in store for us in heaven that we have earned by our good works. You may be thinking, Steve, now, now here's my question. Why should I take what I have in my hand and trade it in for some future ill-defined reward? Just what are these rewards anyway? And I'd love to finish up this sermon series with this sermon today talking about the nature of our rewards in heaven. But I can't do that because to be candid, we don't really know. We do not know what they are. The Bible is not explicit about that. So that's really a good question. Why should I take what I have and trade it in now for something in the future? I don't even know what it is. And make no mistake, we do have to make a trade. When when Jesus is teaching about these rewards from God, for instance, we earn a reward when we seek him in prayer. The God who sees in secret will reward you. Well, to do that, we're going to have to trade in some of our time. That's going to take time to pray. That's time that we could use watching television or relaxing or going to work and earning money. Jesus said to give to the kingdom and you'll store up treasure in heaven. That means we must take from our finances right now the money that we have in hand to live on or for kids' college education or for retirement. We invest that in the kingdom. We're turning that over now to get something in the future. Or Jesus said if you fast, you'll be rewarded for that. So, but that means we have to give up some eating opportunities right now. And Jesus said, if someone persecutes you, you pray for them. Someone is mean to you, you return that with goodness. That means we give up the sweet sense of revenge that we get when we return in kind. So make no mistake, there are trades to be made for these rewards. Why should we do that? Well, that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I want to suggest, even though we don't know exactly what those rewards are, there's many reasons why we should desire them and seek to earn them. I suggest four this morning. Number one is God has a track record as a gift giver, a great gift giver. Jesus said, if you sinful people, you sinful people, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now, I want you to, to think for a minute. Who's the best gift giver that you know? Maybe the best gift giver in your family Maybe it's you. You're the good gift giver in your family. Or maybe it's your spouse, or maybe it's your parents or your kids. 
Whoever it is, they pale in comparison to God. Last year at Christmas time, I was off on Christmas Sunday, and Scott Blount preached the Christmas Sunday sermon. And in that sermon, he talked about the best Christmas gift he had ever received. And it was given to him by his wife, Peggy. And I was thinking about that when I was developing this message. I wonder if anybody here, if you happen to were here this past Christmas Sunday, remember what that gift was that Peggy Blount got for Scott Blount. Now, I'm going to give you a hint here. It has something to do with James Bond. Sunglasses. Y'all remember that? Sunglasses. Because apparently Scott is a James Bond aficionado. He likes all the movies. He read the books. And James Bond has these cool sunglasses. So Peggy went out. She researched it. She spent some extra money. She got the special James Bond sunglasses for Scott. And that was the best Christmas gift he ever received. Well, she's apparently one of those good gifts givers. But even Peggy Blount pales in comparison to God. God is a great gift giver. For instance, he's given us the entire earth to live on. That's a gift to us. Psalm 115, 16 says, the Lord has given the earth to all mankind. And all kinds of things that we take for granted. The provisions that he has made for our life. For instance, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 29. God says, I will call for the corn and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. Now, let's just take a corn seed, for example. One seed of corn typically produces a stalk bearing two cobs. That's why they're called ears, ears of corn. They typically are two. Each one of those cobs has 400 to 600 kernels or seeds. Thus, it multiplies itself, that one seed, 1,000-fold and more in one generation. Now, if you replant the seeds from one corn stalk and each one grows to maturity, each stalk bearing two cobs with an average of 500 kernels per cob, you get one million kernels of corn. That's just the second generation. And if you plant those one million kernels and each stalk grows to maturity, you get a billion corn seeds in just three generations. Merely one example of the bountiful way that God has blessed this world for our benefit. James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in heaven. He is a great gift giver. So there's that. All right, number two, a second reason. To desire, seek to earn God's rewards. Heaven's supportive environment. The supportive environment in heaven. Galatians 5.20. Paul writes, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissensions, and envy will not inherit the kingdom of God. Hey, a good friend that I grew up with at Inglewood Christian Church in Jacksonville, Florida is Scott Einan. Scott Einan and I, we grew up together. He's a couple of years younger than I am. But we were in Bible college at the same time. He and I were roommates in Bible college. And Scott Einan graduated, and he, he also became a preacher. He now preaches at Community Christian Church in South Florida, and it's a megachurch. Technically, a megachurch is any church with a 1,000 members or more. So he's preaching at, really, it's a multi-megachurch. My friend Scott Einan has actually been invited to Congress in Washington, D.C. to open up a session of Congress with a prayer. And, and Scott Einan is today, now, at my home church, Inglewood has their 
homecoming today. And homecoming is annual, and it's where all the people who have ever attended a particular church try to come back and, and be at that service. And they have a guest preacher, and Scott Einan is the preacher today, right now, at Inglewood Christian Church. My mother, who normally watches me on Sunday in the live stream service, today is watching Scott Einan preach at Inglewood Christian Church. And he still has great hair. Now, I like Scott Einan. I appreciate Scott Einan. But you know what? Enough is enough. Enough about Scott Einan. Done with Scott Einan. Now, the Bible says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. But don't we find it hard sometimes to rejoice with those who seem to have a little bit more success, maybe a little bit more prosperity, a little bit more blessing in their life than we do? William Post won Pennsylvania's $16 million lottery jackpot in 1988. This was the start of a series of unfortunate events for William Post. His ex-girlfriend sued him for a share of the winnings, and she won. His brother hired a hitman so that he could inherit part of the cash. Other relatives spent months demanding money. Within one year of winning, $16 million, Post filed for bankruptcy and had $1 million in debt. Why all the envy, the jealousy, and the greed? Well, it's because of sin, isn't it? It's sin. So Satan comes to me with the lie, and he says, everybody else seems to be blessed greater than you are. They don't deserve that. They don't deserve that any more than you do. You deserve that. Now, that lie appeals to the distorted desires of my flesh, what the Bible calls the pride of life. And all of that is reinforced by the advertising in the world. You should have more. You, you don't have enough, or you are not enough. So all of this sin comes from the devil, the flesh, and the world, our three great enemies. And you know what's not going to be present in heaven? The devil, the flesh, and the world. At least not the world as we know it, broken and under the curse of sin. Something happens to the Christian when we die and we go to God's heaven. The Bible describes it as our spirits being perfected. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. You have come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. Made perfect. Jonathan Edwards wrote, Even the very best of men are on earth imperfect, but it is not so in heaven. There shall be no pollution or deformity or offensive defect of any kind seen in any person or thing, but everyone shall be perfectly pure and perfectly lovely in heaven. So somebody asked me after I preached the very first sermon in this series on rewards, is how is it going to be possible if we're in heaven and people are receiving rewards and someone else gets something more that we did not get? Won't we be envious and jealous? I think not. Because of the very environment in heaven is a supportive environment. Reasons why we should desire and pursue the rewards of God. All right, here's the third one. Because of our need to please. Our need to please. We're actually wired up to please. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Paul wrote, We make it our goal to please the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. 
Again, Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2.4. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We're wired up to please. I mean, not just please in general, but really deep down at the most fundamental level, we need to please God, our Father in heaven. And many of the parables when Jesus is teaching about rewards, front and center is the approbation or the approval of God. For instance, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 21, where the master says to the good servants, well done, good and faithful servant. Repeats that in verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. And the parable of the minas, Luke 19, 17. Well done, my good servant. Now, I kind of hate to confess this, but when I was in Bible college, I was not a great student. I was just an average student. I didn't really love to or, or, or learn to love learning until after I graduated. And in college, I was a little more interested in you know, socializing and having a good time and, and partying uh, than I was in studying. Now, you laugh, but probably because it's Bible college. How much partying can you do in a Bible college? Well, it's not the University of Florida, but there are ways. There are ways. Which was fine. I knew I was, I was going to get a degree regardless, but every year during graduation, every year graduation, so family and friends come to the graduation ceremony. We're sitting there together, and up on the, the stage, they start handing out the honors. So you, you honor those who call out the names who made the dean's list. A students made the honor roll. And then you've got the, the person who won the Hebrew award, the best Hebrew student, and the Greek award. And then there's the person who got the preaching award and the, the teaching award. And then you got the salutatorian and the valedictorian. And then, then the, the longer I sat there, the less comfortable I was. Surrounded by my family, my Aunt, Aunt Bet even turned to me one time. She said, Steve, you know, we expect to see you up there next time. I would feel bad for a little while. It never really lasted that long. And by the way, my wife Tammy reminded me that she was always on the dean's list and she won the teaching award. We have such a good marriage, Tammy and I do. But um, during, during those moments, the graduation ceremony, and my parents were proud of me and I got a degree and all that and I was happy for that. So there's that, there's that base level. But I couldn't help but have this nagging feeling, you know, during those times, in light of what had been given to me and invested in me and our, our home church would subsidize our, our tuition at college, pay half tuition, I had the opportunity to do better. I could have done better. And I should have done better. And I, I wonder, when we get to heaven, you know, after the initial reaction for all of us will probably be relief that we made it to heaven. But after that initial reaction... I wonder if the thing we won't want the most is what Jesus is describing right here. Well done, good and faithful servant. And that those rewards are a tangible expression of what God the Master is saying with his words. And we won't have the feeling, boy, in light of when I was a Christian, where I was a Christian in America, and all that was given to me and the opportunities and the resources, boy, you know, I, I really could have done better. And I, I wish I had done better. Michael Jordan's coach in college, his basketball coach in college in North Carolina, anybody know his name, what his name was? Do you happen to know Coach David? 
Yeah, several of you know. Dean Smith. Dean Smith, he learned a lot of basketball from Coach Dean Smith. I think it's interesting that here's one of the things that Dean Smith taught his players. When you make a basket, he says, you point to the player who threw the pass. That's an acknowledgement. He said that applies not just to basketball, but to everything we do. No one makes it through life without lots of assists. That's, that's a good principle. One of the players asked Dean Smith, what if when you point to him, he's not looking? And Dean Smith answered, he'll look. He'll look. We're all looking. We're all looking. We all want a well done. We all want a word of encouragement, a word of acknowledgement. And whether we seek that from our parents or our spouses or our peers, deep down at a fundamental level, we all want to please our Heavenly Father in heaven. That's what's going to be most important to us when we get there. To have sought and earned God's rewards. One more reason, one more reason as we think about these rewards and why, why we desire them is it just comes down to trust because we trust God, the one who rewards. And the kind of trades, let's make a deal, we're going to trade something in, whether we trade our time or we trade some of our money or some convenience, these have been small trades, relatively small trades that we've talked about so far. If you spend an hour a day in prayer, now that most people would consider that pretty good, an hour a day in prayer, but it's still just one out of 24 hours. If you give 10% of our income to the kingdom of God, you know, most people would consider that pretty generous, but it's still just 10 out of 100%. If we come to church and we spend an hour in worship, and Jesus said, if you give even a couple of cold water to one of these little ones in, in ministry, you'll get a reward. So we stay here an extra hour, actually here on two hours, one hour to worship and then another hour to serve in some ministry to the church. So that's a trade. We're trading our time and our convenience, but it's still kind of a small trade. What if, what if the deal is a big deal? What if what God is asking us to trade is something big and significant? For instance, Jesus said to the rich ruler in Matthew 19, 21, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you own. Give the money to the poor and you will have riches in heaven. Now that's a big trade. Remember the, the widow woman at the temple and she put the two pennies into the treasury box and Jesus said she gave more than anybody else today because everybody else is giving out of their abundance, but she gave everything she had to live on. That was the big trade. In Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said, Everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, or children, or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. Now, those are big trades, aren't they? That's family. That's homes. That's livelihoods. I think of Abraham in the Old Testament. Remember when God comes to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son, Isaac, by you and Sarah, and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. Wow. That's a big trade. You know, if, if Abraham wasn't right about God and he follows through on that trade, he will have lost something he could not afford to lose. It's called sacrificing the son. And I wonder if a time comes in every Christian's life where God calls on us to make the big trade, a big trade, Wherein, if what we believe about God is not true, we're giving up things we can't afford to give up. 
What it boils down to then is trust. It's not Monty Hall saying, you can give me the $1,000 and what's behind the curtain might be better than that. It's God saying, I want you to give this back to me. That I gave it to you, but give it back to me. Sacrifice it and surrender it to me because what you stand to gain will definitely be a hundred times better than that. So it's not a question of what's behind the curtain anymore. It's a question of whether or not we trust the game show host. In this case, whether or not we trust God. You know, when I was a kid, my mother read to me Roald Dahl's book, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. They made a movie out of that, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But if you recall, if you, maybe if you read that or saw the movie, Willy Wonka has this big magic candy factory, and uh, he decides to hide five golden tickets and five chocolate bars. They're going to be, these bars will be sold all over the world. And whatever children find those five golden tickets, they get a year's, or a lifetime supply rather, of chocolate, and they get a tour of the chocolate factory. So the tickets are found by the five children. Now, four of those children are brats. They're spoiled brats, right? The parents had never read my book, From Love to Like, How to Raise Likeable Children. They, they raised brats. And then the fifth child, Charlie, is poor, but he has a good heart. And so the time comes for these five children to go tour the chocolate factory. But before that happens, they're each approached by Slugworth. Slugworth is the arch nemesis of Willy Wonka. And he tells them, if you get your hands on one of these everlasting gobstoppers, this special candy, he says, I want you to get that, smuggle it back to me. So I, I can reverse engineer it, and I'm going to put Willy Wonka out of business. I'll make it worth your while. So that's the temptation that's on the table for each one. Through the course of the tour of the chocolate factory, each of those spoiled brats disqualifies themselves and they're kicked out. And it just comes down to Charlie, the, the good child. And he and his grandpa are in the office with Willy Wonka at the very end in this ultimate scene, this climactic scene, where Willy Wonka appears to renege on the deal. And Charlie, and his heart, is put to the test. And I want to show you that scene from the original movie and then come back and make a final point. You know, it's all a test. It's all a test. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament who was sold into slavery by his brothers and spent so much time in prison unjustly? The psalmist writes of him that he passed the test and lived the dream. We're each called upon to pass the test and live the dream. And I want to encourage us this morning, whatever God is asking you to deal today, whatever he's asking you to trade in, whatever he's asking us to sacrifice, trust God. It's a synonym for faith. Have faith and trust in God. Let me end with this quote by Jim Elliott, martyred missionary to the Alka Indians. Jim Elliott said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father in heaven today, we simply remember there are things that work that we don't even understand. And sometimes to us, on our side, on this side of heaven, it seems counterintuitive to sacrifice what we have in hand, what we feel like we need or what we think we can't do without to sacrifice that, to give it back to you when you ask for it. We know it's counterintuitive, but nevertheless, it is true. It is true.
that everything you have in mind for us here and then is a hundred times better. You want to bless us. We desire you and your reward. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.